Welcome, welcome, welcome to Thirst for Knowledge Podcast, episode 77. I'm James Evers. I'm Justin. And I'm Seth Tardiff. And today on the episode, we're talking all about cheese. <sighs> cheese. Yeah, man. Uh, so this was a fun episode to record, not only because we talked about one of the greatest foods of all time, cheese. Mm -hmm. We also sampled some various aged cheddar throughout the episode. Yep. That shit was sharp. Oh my God, dude. I still got the cheese sweats. My God. Yeah. But it was very good. So we talk about how cheese is made, a little bit about the history and origins of cheese, the types of different cheese that there are, which there are many. Yeah. Um, and hardness, how hard cheese yeah, is. Yeah. Cause there's, there's very, there's stages of how hard it can be. It can be soft. It can be rock hard. And it can be rock hard, you know, and everything in between. Um, but yeah, enjoy this uh, cheesy episode. Enjoy. Enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen. All right, you curd nerds out there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Today, hey. we're fucking doing cheddar. We're doing just cheese, right? Yeah, Not cheese. just cheddar, but we're doing all sorts of cheeses. But this is going to, this might what? This might start off a whole no, new series, maybe? I mean, we'll, we'll see where the cheese takes us, but. We'll see how, how the views go. And this one, we're going to talk about uh, what cheese is, how it's made, and a little bit of history of cheese, as well as the history of processed cheese. And uh, we're going to sample some cheese along the way. Fuck yeah. For sure. So James, um, we're not going to do all the sampling at once. We're just going to do it a little bit throughout and we'll try to provide as little ASMR as possible right. while doing that. Um, what do we have for cheeses that we're going to be sampling? All right, guys. We are working with seven. Seven? Six? Six. six delicious cheeses. We got a 15-month, a two-year, a five-year. Then we're going to seven- 10 year and the grand finale cheddar a 24 year aged cheddar bro 1997 was when Dude, that thing that's was like that's like the year me and ham met yeah yeah right Dude, that's fucking crazy 24 <clears throat> years old yeah dude wow that's fucking insane. i'm kind of afraid i'm kind of afraid like what if it's so sharp it cuts my tongue what if you start sweating? What if I start <laughs> getting cheese sweats? I've never got the cheese sweats. I don't think I've ever like consumed anything that old. Not even like bourbon, like scotch, none uh, of that. Shit. Oh, that's, that's that's an interesting question. That might yeah. be true to me too. Like I I like to fuck around with like twelve year McCollin for mm -hmm. scotch. Yeah, mm -hmm. I've done a seventeen year. I don't think I fucked around with like. Like, have you ever had a wine from 1997 or before? I don't know. I don't know. I've had a wine from 2001, and I actually have another bottle on the shelf. Mm -hmm. Okay. From 01. I actually have an 09, but <clears throat> yeah, man, I don't know if I've had anything 24 years old. Well, yeah. Well, we will today, so we'll be able to. I have scars. Twenty-four set. years old. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. When yeah. your dad put a cigarette out on your arms. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh my god. So, I mean, we've all everybody that's listening. It's probably safe to say, unless they have some kind of allergy, has eaten cheese. 
Probably. Who's yeah. listening to this? Like sure. chances are like everybody. For sure. Most of the people you know eat cheese. Even if have, you're lactose intolerant, I think you can still fuck around with some cheese. Some of the drier cheeses. Like, yeah. You can. Exactly. <clears throat> some drier cheeses? Like yeah. Like Parmesan. Parmesan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, even some cheddars too. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, cheese is a dairy product that's derived from the pressed curds of milk in its simplest definition. Yeah. Yeah. And there are it's weird i was looking up like how many different kinds of cheese there are or types of cheese there are and some people say that there's at least up to over 2000 types of cheese wow which is insane yeah that's fucking crazy like how but does that <clears throat> does that also kind of like separate like america has their own version of swiss but swiss has their own sort yeah. of criteria like uh, champagne yeah, yeah, and then no, like no exactly that's because uh we'll get into the way that cheese is categorized later but you could you could actually kind of see how those numbers could be that high based off of right. the categorizations yeah wait quick question is swiss cheese though from switzerland no okay that's all that's a good <laughs> all you know, just to make sure all right. So, um, James, I know you did the most research, I think, on how cheese is made. Yeah. Um, in general, it's it's very simple ingredients. Milk. It's made from some type of milk. Yeah. Some kind of bacteria culture, rennet, and salt. Yeah. Um, I don't know much of the actual process. I just know that those are uh, the ingredients. The only one of those that might sound weird to people is rennet like what what that actually is. And it's a set of enzymes that's produced in the stomachs of ruminant mammals. And a ruminant mammal is one that is a large hoofed grazing mammal that is able to acquire nutrients from plant-based food by fermenting it in a specialized stomach prior to digestion. So that means these mammals have this set of culture enzymes inside of it that allows that shit to break down and that is one of the key components in actually making cheese the bacteria culture can be anything it's kind of similar to like how beer is fermented with different yeasts or bacteria cultures sure um and other fermented foods like sauerkraut and kombucha or whatever it may be uh some typical or things used in the culture would be like lactobacillus or streptococcus which I thought was interesting because I the only thing I know streptococcus from is like strep House? throat. Strep throat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, oh, but yeah, yeah so weird. James, how 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 do you make? What's the process of making so cheese? You, so when I was watching them make cheese, it kind of reminded me of brewing in a way too. Yeah, and they kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. If you go to like a homebrew shop, you probably find a cheese making kit there as well. Oh, definitely. Because the tools used to make beer are also kind of the tools you would kind of use like a big ass pot mm-hmm. to make um cheese and you use your thermometers and whatever so you want to keep um the biggest thing i think with making cheese is keeping your temperatures right mm-hmm. so what you got to do is get a big ass pot right dump a bunch of milk the more fat the better because that's what they're extracting really is the fat of the mm-hmm. milk mm-hmm. and you dump that and you want to bring you want to bring your pot of milk up to 88 degrees and 88 degrees fahrenheit Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. So basically, whatever the culture yeast you're using, yeah, usually right around those temps is like the most favorable for that 
for that type of yeast. Okay. Right around okay. 88 degrees, 85 to 9 degrees. And I would imagine that that varies depending on what culture you're using. Yeah. As do like beer fermentations and things like that, depending right. on what kind of yeast you're using. So making this cheese, <clears throat> we're just going to talk about cheddar. Okay. So making cheddar cheese, dump the milk into a big ass pot, bring that up to about 88 degrees. Once it's at a nice stable temperature, you want to pitch your misophilic culture, which yep. is your yeast. Yeah. Right. You let that steep in there for an hour. Okay. And you want to keep, try to keep that temperature right around the same thing. Mm -hmm. That one hour, it's going to, it's going to basically, it's going to basically hydrate the yeast mm -hmm. and start it to get it going. Okay. You know? It's um, it's waking the yeast up and, and getting it to start the fermentation. Right. So before we go ahead, we should probably sample our first cheese. Sure. So the first cheese is a Tillamook extra sharp or sharp cheddar that is 15 months old. I'm it's fucking it. afraid of this. Where is it from? Me. Wisconsin? Tillamook. Um, the first two are Tillamook cheeses, which I think is a kind of a local area. Gotcha. Yep. All right. So while we're eating the shit. After you fucking put that culture in, that yeast is rehydrating, getting into the milk. After an hour, you want to throw, you you want to, after that hour, you want to slowly fold the milk while it's homogenizing, right? Then so how do you, how are you folding the milk? You're using like a spoon and you're just okay. kind of like slowly stirring it, but not like to a point where like you're making you're not it unsettled. Like, you're not whisking it. You're, yeah. Cause okay. the yeast is like alive. Yeah. You know, yeah. just like beer. Mm -hmm. It's alive. So you don't want to like fuck it all up and give yeah. it concussions and shit, you know? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So you set it down for an hour. You can turn the heat off. Usually people will wrap around, wrap the um, pot in a towel to kind of retain that heat. Yep. Right. Then after that, <clears throat> you're going to pitch your rennet. Okay. Actually, fuck. No. You do your, um, what is that shit called that makes it orange? The Anna. Anetto. Anetto. So the Anetto will determine if you have like a white cheese versus a yellow cheese or an orange cheese. So this first cheese that we just ate was a white was a white cheddar. So, <clears throat> annatto, annatto is an orange-red condiment and food coloring <clears throat> derived from the seeds of the acaute tree, native to tropical regions from Mexico to Brazil. And it is often used to impart a yellow or orange color to foods, but sometimes also for its flavor and aroma. Right. Now that, like I said, it'll make the cheddar orange or not. So you would add your annatto at this point Right. It'll make it like an orangey color. You if you see want it. that orange cheddar. Yeah. It also, yeah. that, that annatto also makes it like creamier. Okay. If you like a creamy cheddar, like these oranges will be a little creamier. All right. And then you can pitch that in there, stir it up a little bit. Then you want to add your rennet. Now your rennet, basically, like you said, it like curds the cheese. It separates the fats from like the proteins. Yep. Right. Once you pitch the rennet, you'll stir that for about a minute, but you don't want to go over a minute. So that's like the max amount of stirring because it's going to start to make that chemical change yeah. and start separating the whey protein from the curds. Okay. You let that shit sit for like one hour and you can do this. It's called a break test. So your 
your milk will literally turn into like a jello. And there'll be like a layer at the top of the pot where all the curds will float up into a solid mass. And they do a break test. And if it has a clean break, you make a slice, basically. If it makes a clean slice, like a nice smooth jello slice, mm-hmm. it's ready. But if it starts sticking to the knife or it like breaks apart, breaks apart like kind of in chunks you got to let it sit longer but about an hour you let that rennet separate the milk fat from the protein your curds and whey right so then you have curds and whey the whey will sink to the bottom the curds will float at the top all right so now you have a big mass of of curds right you want to then siphon all the curd out from the whey so then you just have like this solid mass of future cheese okay you're gonna bring that back up you're gonna put that back into the pot at 102 degrees <clears throat> and you're gonna sl- and you're gonna once that reaches because that's whole time it's about at 88 mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. curds up and you put it back in the pot once you siphon out all the way and then you bring the the curds back to 102 so now you've got your like solid massive curd yeah at this point or yep. it's like it's kind of gelatinous and then your whey is like the milky like liquid that's left, you know. Yeah. Right. Okay. So now once you're at 102, you can start, it's called cheddaring. This is where you, your solid mass of curd is going to be flipped. Every 30 minutes, 15 to 30 minutes, you want to flip your giant like mass of curd. Mm-hmm. And it's going to slowly like extract more and more of that liquid whey out of it. Okay. So the first the first natural like separation with the rennet will take a large majority of the whey out of the curd. Mm-hmm. But then this process of cheddaring is basically you're flipping it, letting it like steep out, flipping it over again, letting it steep out. You're basically flipping back and forth every yep. 15 minutes. You're trying to get as much of that moisture out of there as possible. Right. You're trying to get all that moisture out. Now, the more, mo- the more moisture that leaves the cheese, the curds, the harder your cheese is going to be. Mm-hmm. And by cheddaring, you're basically, you keep flipping back and forth. You're going to turn that curd into a potential cheddar. Now, you can even go longer and it could be, it could turn into like um, a Parmesan or something even harder than what a cheddar is. Mm-hmm. But you do that for about two hours, you'll flip it back and forth. By then, you should have a good amount of your curd to whey ratio would be at the right area yep. that you're looking for for cheddar. So then your curds are out. They cheddared long enough, two hours, boom. Now you have this massive curd. You then take it out of the pot and you can wrap it with cheesecloth and you can start your press process. Now, a cheese press, if you haven't seen it, it literally looks like a fucking big cylinder you throw all your curds in and you're pushing it you're pressing the curds into a brick and there's all different weights and you slowly gradually go up in weight and time as your pressing process goes through so like the first hour you want to press around like 12 to 20 pounds and you're basically just smushing the cheese into like a brick or it's a wheel shape. It's like a big round wheel shape. And you can see the way even more draining out. Okay. So now you're just basically squeezing these curds into a brick to squeeze more of that way out. Mm-hmm. And then you just gradually go up in weight. I mean, they, they go up to like a hundred pounds and even more. 
And the first one is like an hour. Then you can go up to, you know, two, three days of pressing until, um, you know, you get that right amount of weight out of there. Now, when you're in the pressing process, do you need to have the cheese held at a certain temperature? Like, does it need to be... It doesn't really like room temperatures. Okay, okay, you don't need yeah. to put it in the fridge yeah, or you don't yeah, need yeah. to heat it up. Yeah. Um, but I think like I've seen people do it right in their kitchen. Oh, yeah. So like maybe, you know, 70 degrees is probably a good temperature. Yeah. You don't want it too hot where it like cook and you don't yeah. want it too cold where it'll freeze or something. Yeah. But um, like when I've seen people make it, they just had it like in their sink. Okay. And as it's pressing, it's like dripping the way out and going down the drain or whatever. Um. So like you can do 40 pounds at 12 hours and then you can bring it up to 50 pounds for another day. Um, but then once you get pressed, you want to let it air dry. And this is going to be like the last stage of basically removing any extra way. Mm -hmm. It's going to sweat out any way. Like now at first when you had your curds, they're like light and fluffy. Yeah. You know, um, it's like if you, you can buy cheese curds, like yeah. so in the, in this state, you, you can know? smush it between your fingers yeah. and like, but by the time after like your second or third day of pressing, it's hard. Like a cheddar would be. Okay. It's okay. at that stage. Yeah. You let it air dry and it'll make like a crust around the cheese, mm -hmm. you know, and it'll get that extra evaporation of any extra way that's there. And then you can literally dip your cheese in hot wax and you dip it. You usually dip it one side, then you turn it one side. And by the time you're touching the wax, it's a little cold. And you can basically dip the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then you're done. You want to store it at 55 to 60 degrees. Age it as long as you want to age it for. Yep. And as long as it's in that wax. It's going to continue. It's it, It'll continue the aging process. But once you remove it from that wax. Right. You're you're done. That's like yeah. essentially what it is. You can. Yeah. So you want to keep that until you're ready to eat it. Yeah. And then you can store it in a vacuum seal bag for up to six months if you want to open it up, take a slice. I mean, I guess you could re-wax it if you wanted to like cut half of that out, re-wax mm -hmm. one side and then eat the other half. I suppose that would be okay to do. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Um, but while it's in that wax, it's kind. It's in a way, it's, it's going to be able to breathe a bit. Mm -hmm. Like it'll be able to permeate oxygen will be able to permeate slowly through yeah. it. And so will carbon dioxide. Cause now you have a yeast culture, yep. you know, that yeast is doing its work mm -hmm. by aging. And the longer you let that cheese age, the more sharpness you'll get. Yep. So like a 15 month to two year would be considered extra sharp. Yeah. So like a 15 month, I, th I believe is, um, so we'll just start from the beginning. So a mild cheddar, is aged from two to three months. A sharp cheddar is aged from six to nine months. And an extra sharp is one and a half years to two years. Now, after two years, it's common to call cheddar extra sharp, but a lot of the time they call it premium cheddar after after two years. So... So age it as long as you want. If you like that shit super, super sharp, get it over two years, man. Yeah, I mean, who wants a mild cheddar? Yeah, that's a weak, <laughs> that's weak sauce. You know, like I'm I'm saying like you got to go at least, you got to, I'm an extra sharp guy. Like I'm an extra sharp Like too. minimum, yeah. Yeah, I got to have that little bite to it. Even that 15 month we just had would remind me of like almost a mild 
to yeah, sharp. It had, it had very light, a little bit of a bite to it, but it, it was it was good. Like I'd like it on a sandwich or something like that. I'm gonna try this too. I'm not hard. I, I I'll eat the Spectrum, man. Yeah, but, you know, if it's a mild, like sometimes there's some stuff that can really pair well with it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna fuck around with this two year. We're going two year. Two okay. year. All right. That was good, man. That was that was cheese in my eyes. Yeah, that was pretty solid. Creamy, yep. light, little sharpness to it. Had some bite to it. Yeah, I, I I'd say I probably like a hair more bite to it. But yeah, yeah. That's like I wouldn't be disappointed if uh, that was on a cheese board and I was sampling yeah. it. That five year, I think it's gonna have a little bite to it. I th- yeah, I'm guessing it will. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's gonna be exponential from from yeah. this point on. So that cheese description of how to make cheddar mm-hmm. is the very roughest, most simple, basic um, way to make cheddar. Yeah. Now people add salt to it mm-hmm. while they're while the curds are out. Um, that'll like that'll like uh, lower the acidity of the curds. Um, people will add, you know, chloride to it in the very beginning. That'll lower the pH. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all different ways to make it. People will also, you know, they'll inject the curds with like all sorts of flavors like garlic or habanero and they'll make it spicy or more mm-hmm. flavorful. And, and then you can go down the line, make fucking Parmesan, mozzarella, all that fucking shit. Yeah. That's and the most basic. Depending on like which kind of cheese you're making, there's some different techniques where like mozzarella, there's a pulling that's involved. Right. Um, and obviously how you were talking about the, the pressing and you would have uh, different firmnesses of cheeses, you know, uh, you're not going to press it as much to get like a feta or something like that, you know, which is a softer. The, <clears throat> with Swiss cheese, like those, the holes that you see in the classic, like holes of yeah. Swiss cheese. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. So those are referred to as eyes. Yeah. Oh. And um, w- the reason how that happens in the process and I, I didn't know if we were actually going to go dig deep in, deeper into Swiss cheese, but I mean, just talking. I mean, <clears throat> Swiss, for, James, for whatever reason, Swiss cheese that like the picture of like, so different the, the, the holy like the the holes in them, those eyes. Like a lot of times in cartoon, it's in cartoons, yeah. yeah, you see cheese. Oh, right, this mice. Big, yes. Well, that was yeah. the thing. It was like my first like experience with Swiss cheese. Was I was watching Tom and Jerry. Oh, yeah. Fuck fucking yeah. Tom made this big ass sandwich with the lettuce and tomato and fucking all this shit. Mm-hmm. He had the toothpick in the center with the olive. Yeah. And I was looking at that as, as a kid and I was like, fuck, man, what cheese is that? I want that. Yep. And I, cheese. I got it in the store and I tried it and yeah. it was fucking gross, man. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I had it's like that, leather. I had it's that same so exact gross. experience. I was like, what is this bullshit? <laughs> yeah. But now, dude, it's a staple in my household. Oh, like, yeah. isn't that like a healthy cheese in a way? It's one of the best. Yeah. One for you. Yeah. yeah. If you were going to choose cheese, like anybody who has <clears throat> issues with like heart issues, like cardiovascular issues like swiss cheese is like the most recommended if you're going to use cheese yeah because it's it's like it it tends to be a little bit leaner it has yeah, lower a lot less content. salt mm-hmm. um yeah but anyways so those eyes um what happens is when <clears throat> when it's being stored in the cellars about a month into storage the propionic bacteria will will actually consume the lactic acid and it'll it'll basically turn it'll release uh, carbon dioxide and propionic acid, and the bubbles, the carbon dioxide bubbles, get mm-hmm. trapped in the cheese, 
or in the cheese rind, and it'll, that's how that forms those holes. Yep. So does the wheel then essentially grow? Because it's, it's making space, right? It must be um, just it's it's pushing out, right? So you're not it's not necessarily growing, but it's becoming more dense around the area where oh, the space right. is. Yeah, make it, and it's a hard <clears throat> cheese, right? Swiss. It's, so I say it's hard, right? The rule is: the bigger the eyes, the harder the cheese. Oh, Which damn. makes sense to what I just said, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. The bigger the eyes, the harder the cheese. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, uh, man, before we started here, me and James were watching some uh, informative videos on YouTube, and they were showing how different types of cheese can be made. And something like blue cheese, where they have these injectors. Uh, yeah, it, it's like a bunch of metal tines or something. Like, I don't know. You picture like a comb. It's like a big metal comb that gets pushed into the cheese and creates all these holes. And then they inoculate it with bacteria, a certain type of bacteria in those holes. Interesting. And then that, so rather than like how James was talking about before, where they're putting the bacteria in when they make it, they inject this other bacteria into it. And that's what makes the blue cheese. Like those blue chunks. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, and the chunks in the center of the cheese because of the way that it's pushed in with that comb-like thing. So it's throughout the whole block yeah. instead of just like on the top or something. Yeah. It's yeah. so gross. Blue cheese is so gross. <laughs> I'm not a fan of blue cheese either. I'm yeah. a ranch guy for my wings all day. I, I, I like I like a good blue cheese. Sometimes it's a little... It's it got can a get chemical a, It can get a little gnarly, but a, like a good blue cheese, I don't know. It's like... <clears throat> yeah. It's like when you have an IPA and you're like, oh, it's just too, it's too, it's too bitter or something, and it doesn't have right. good flavor, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta find that right one. Yeah. So um, when I was looking up cheese things and trying to find what, like, as far as I know, cheese has been around forever. Yeah. Right. It's been alive. It's been around since I've been alive. That's for sure. Yes. <laughs> and. Um, historically they don't really know when cheese was first made because it predates written history damn so like beer it's in like fermented beverages it's really fucking old yeah you know so they they suspect that it was sometime around 8000 bce where cheese was probably first discovered 8000 bce yeah so that means that's like 10,000 years ago. Yeah. But, and but the earth is only 2,000 years old. I don't know how that math works. Only 2,000 years old? 2021? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> something 2021? Like Based on my history in school. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, nonetheless, um, around 8,000 BC is where they think the domestication of sheep was happening. So what would happen or what they think may have happened was um, – Internal organs of sheep, their stomachs, used to be used for storing things. They were like removed from the sheep, inflated, and you could actually put shit in there. And like, damn. Yeah. So what happened or what they think happened is that some guy was storing milk in one of these sheep stomachs and there was rennet present inside of that sheep stomach. So it made your it to curd. curd. Have your curd and now you have your curds and whey. And then obviously the process gets more refined over time. And by the time the Roman emperor is happening, um, they've you know started 
perfecting and or, or yeah or i mean obviously i'm sure we're perfecting it even more today with all the uh different cultures because now we can actually and we talked about this in the history of beer as well select for certain yeast strains like we don't have contaminations and all that stuff so we can isolate specific cultures and then use them for specific types of cheeses right just like you do in beer you isolate a single culture or or your like I want this strain, this strain, this strain, mix it together. That gets me cheddar. This one, this one, this one gives me what I'm going to use for blue cheese and so on and so forth. Damn. Rather than back in the day when they were doing it, it was probably like kind of a crapshoot or they were certain regions produced certain type of cheeses because those were the bacterias that were in those regions at the time. Right. God damn. <clears throat> and because of the high ability of like spoilage of cheese, it doesn't keep long. And right. cheese was always like a local commodity because mm-hmm. because of the fact it was always spoiling. It would go bad really quickly. And a lot of like foodborne illnesses were tied to uh, the dairy community. Ah, okay. I mean, yeah, that makes sense because you're working with bacteria and fermentations. And if it goes, something goes wrong or the wrong type of bacteria gets in there. Yeah, you're, you know. Because uh, obviously it's not alcoholic, so you don't have all these other things to protect against exactly. the, the bad bacteria. And you don't boil it, you know? You're not boiling it in the process. Yeah. I mean, milk is essentially a basic – it's it's basic. It's not acidic. So that will uh, – more acidic things preserve longer. Yeah. All right. I'm diving into this five-year. Five-year? I'm fucking right. – I'm ready. Damn. Feels like we're going fast. Yo, that shit's sharp. That shit's sharp. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, actually. Yo, that 24 is going to fuck us up. <clears throat> that's got some bite. I, I like that right there. That's fucking, that's yep. good for me. That's just creamy. Compared to that white, I think that's more creamy. Yeah. That's that amamato. <laughs> amato. Anato. Does have a nice orange hue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the first two cheeses, the youngest ones that we sampled, are both white. And then from here on out, we're all orange. all orange, which means that they have anato in them you can see like the color difference too like the the five and seven darker i want to say they start to lighten up in a way the 10 and the 24 yeah the 10 looks paler and then the the 24 is just dingy looking it does yeah it's it's interesting (laughs) it's like a soap colored like (laughs) soapy water just like dusty (laughs) it's pretty wild yo i'm excited but I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> You're not. We're not eating hot wings, man. Oh, I know. Yeah, that was uh, that was much different. <laughs> Lip slap, <laughs> man. <laughs> All right, so um, <clears throat> let's see. Um, we've got what cheese is. We've got how it's made. We've got a little bit on the history and the origin of cheese. I want to go a little bit into um, the way we categorize cheese now. Okay. So there's a few different ways cheeses are categorized by type, country of origin, type of milk, texture, and color. So um, I'll give some examples of each of those different categorizations because uh, some of them get pretty complex and I don't want to just list and list. Sure. Types of cheese, for example, have to do with their firm, how firm or soft they are. So it kind of ranges from 
Um, like a yogurty soft. <laughs> yeah. So they like fresh, soft, fresh, firm, soft, semi soft, semi hard, hard, semi firm, and firm. That's <laughs> very, very what sexual. About throbbing hard and rock hard. <laughs> yeah. Those are probably I'm the best ways by hard. which cheeses are categorized. But now the type of milk, okay? This is crazy because off the top of your head, what do you think would be the most popular? Cow. Right? Cow. Gosh. Uh, Goat, yeah, goat is probably goat, goat or sheep. Goat, yeah. Then you have buffalo, camel, Jesus. donkey. <laughs> oh, God. I feel like donkey cheese is <laughs> dude. It's some sort of joke. Like you want some of my donkey cheese, dude? It's insane because it's pretty much anything that can make milk. You can make cheese out of. They're like um, moose cheese, reindeer cheese. They all seem like they're hooved animals, though. Water buffalo. Can you make human cheese? I know. You could, right? Oh, my fucking God, You could totally could. You know. Um, Yeah, like just get a bunch of breast milk and then fucking. Seth. And then fucking just make those curds, baby. Oh, my God. Somebody out there. Somebody out there probably did it, right? They for sure did it. Oh, totally. For sure. Yeah, go down to New York, get some Cambodian breast milk. (laughs) Some Cambodian breast milk. And make me some Cambodian cheddar, bro. (laughs) So, so ridiculous. You remember when uh, cockroach milk was a thing? They were saying- You were talking about cockroach milk. Yeah, cockroach cockroach milk has like the most calories and fat per like liter if you were to extrapolate it into a liter of milk. And they would consider it like a super, super food. If they could, but they can't really extract cockroach milk. Yeah. You know, not in quantities consumed, but if they made that shit. It'd be so expensive. Are you saying that cockroaches breastfeed? Apparently. Dude, it takes about 10 pounds of milk to make one pound of cheese. Oh, yeah. Like when I was watching a video on them making cheese, this bitch fucking threw six gallons of milk to make literally like a six inch wheel of cheese. Yeah. Or maybe like an eight inch wheel which is eight inches around and maybe like two or three inches <sighs> yeah it's crazy yeah but just because you separate like the curds from the the milk itself i mean you have the whey left over if you were to you know <clears throat> dehydrate all that stuff out man you get some protein powder yeah, yeah there you go you know it's a good um byproduct of cheese is protein so that um, whey protein <laughs> the cheese and bodybuilding <laughs> 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 what do you do for oh we make cheese and protein <laughs> i mean yeah that's probably what most of these companies are doing you know or here. sell it off to those that industry yes yeah, right. yeah exactly and now cheeses by color i thought this was going to be a lot simpler than it was blue but, cheese dude th- yeah i mean yeah blue cheese yellow cheese <laughs> white to, cheese swear to god i'm addicted to blue cheese but there's like brown cheese red cheese pink cheese like dang how much, much every fucking color how much of that is based off of like any kind of wax color imbued from the rind itself, like into the cheese. Does that affect color? I uh, I don't think so. Okay, I, I don't believe so. I think um, I don't think that wax actually reacts with or flavors the cheese. It's basically just for um, creating that oxygen barrier, right. essentially. So how do they make like all those colors? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we were talking about the whole Anato thing yeah. and the blue cheese that that's created by the bacteria itself. Right, right. So I imagine a lot of it has to, I would imagine most of it's not 
like added yeah it's like certain bacteria produce certain byproducts of those fermentations create a certain color or something but i know the vermont um cheddar that the habanero one from um god damn it what is that vermont cheddar company called cabot Cabot. yeah they make a habanero cheddar and that's Mm -hmm. just orange oh yeah i've had and it's spicy as fuck yeah i mean that yeah that obviously gets its color from the habaneros yeah some of it it's got like little orange flakes and shit in there so i was surprised to see that the top producers in the world of cheese or like the top producer is the united states you make the most cheese we make the most cheese so the stats that i got were from 2019 and the top five were the united states germany france italy and netherlands and the United States like kind of blows everybody else out of the water with six point three million tons Jesus. produced. Six point three million tons. Yeah, and Germany in second place is two point almost two point three million tons. Six point three million tons. That doesn't even make fucking sense to me, man. What? That's tons. Wait, wait, wait. Oh my god. That's twelve point six billion pounds. Yeah. 12.6 billion pounds. So, um, there isn't 6. Point, there isn't 12.6 billion people. Yeah, but think about this, okay? So the top consumers per per like in in the country like uh, a country that has a person on average that consumes the most cheese, um, the top ranking countries are France, Iceland, Finland, Denmark and Germany. Damn. And the average person consumes 55 pounds a year. Damn. Of cheese? Of cheese. So if you, 55 pounds per year, if you multiply 55 times, like, I mean, these massive populations, I'm sure the, you know, the well, US yeah, yeah. is probably up there too. And not all the cheese that's being produced is getting consumed within that year because right. you've got, you know. The, I bet they put like a pound and a half of cheese on a, on a cheese pizza you know oh yeah so if you eat like 30 cheese pizzas a year yeah that's 30 pounds right there. easy i mm. would man that, and that data was from like 2014 but i would have to imagine that 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 u.s number's got to be pretty close to 55 pounds per person <sighs> gotta be man i so, mean so <clears throat> americans consume 40 billion pounds of american cheese in a year yeah just american cheese yeah that's just wait 40 billion pounds of american cheese yeah so okay so, so that now, doesn't count in the cheese production then all right so this will be a good place to transition into our next topic but before we do that let's uh bust out the seven year here oh my god I'm, I'm afraid year. now the seven is like crumbling it's mm-hmm. real crumbling and that's what happens when the longer it ages the the less of everything is in it starts drying out it gets harder and it starts to crumble more so you can i can already see the cracks in this um Oh boy, that that's sharp, yeah. but that's fucking good though. I like that. I really like that seven year. I dig it, but like I wouldn't put that on my cheeseburger. Oh boy, I don't know, man. I might put it on a cheeseburger. That's, I don't know if I'd put that on a burger either. It's almost starting to get a little bit of that like blue cheese tang to it, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and as it goes milder, it gets tangier as it gets older. Okay, okay. And you know how like. I don't know if anyone's had a lot of cheddar, but we've had the cheddar where it has those little crystals in it, mm-hmm. and they're like they're a lot harder, yeah, 
and they're they have like a real tangy punch yeah you know i love those flavor crystals dude yeah yeah those are those are those are like um hard salt like crystals those are called calcium lactate crystals Mm mm-hmm and those will give you that quick zip oh yeah when you get one of those yeah i was expecting at least one of those in the seven year Mm -hmm. but maybe the orange ones don't have as many crystals yeah uh, yeah i don't know but we'll see in the 10 and if 24 doesn't have any crystals then i'm I'm like for sure thinking maybe it's a type that makes the crystals could be you know but that was good that was creamy man yep yep some people i've heard that i've heard that some people compare cheese to crack cocaine and they have the same addictive qualities people have said that like on science literature magazines and shit oh yeah they say like the high fat high calorie does the same drug effect in your brain that fucking Uh, crack does (laughs) that's crazy dude i can see that that endorphin and that like boost in fat and boost in nutrition Mm -hmm. i mean not nutrition but that chemical nutrition man yeah nutrition yeah that chemical in your brain is the same chemical reaction when you smoke crack. That's just good. I've never like sucked dude's dick for some cheese, but I mean, maybe that 24 will change my life. Maybe it might. So Ham, you did the research on processed cheese because we all know that, uh, I, I mean, I imagine in the world, but predominantly in America, I see processed cheese all the fuck oh, over it's the place. Fucking symbol, man! It's it's the bat <laughs> symbol of America. Yeah, we just ate a uh, processed cheese burritos, and and maybe yeah. that's why America isn't in that top five because they are a, a big portion of the cheese they are consuming is processed cheese, oh. and if that was real cheese, that number would be way higher. Yeah, so it's not considered. It's not recognized by the American Cheese oh. Council of the Universe of fitting on that list damn i i i I didn't look up processed cheese so picture this i I wouldn't think that it is though right like so what is processed cheese before before you explain that picture this in numbers you said 6.3 million tons of real cheese is made in the united states which was equivalent to 12.3 billion pounds he just said that america eats 40 billion pounds of processed cheese which is American f- cheese? Just Amer- American. So American which cheese. Is, which is, what is that? Almost four times more than the <clears throat> six point three million tons they make. They make another fucking twenty tons of goddamn processed cheese on top of that. It's outrageous. Seth has crunched numbers. I, ca- I can't. I, the, 40, my, ca- my calculator doesn't even go. <laughs> Forty billion divided by motherfucking two thousand. It's like ridiculous yeah that's insane it's 20 billion it's 20 it's 20 well, then you think about how many tons. people there are in the u.s and you just divide Three, 300 you just million? assume everybody eats cheese and then divide 40 billion by that much like that's <laughs> that's a huge fucking number man <laughs> well i mean the thing about cheese cheese is actually a very very important food staple oh yeah in our diets yep. and everything like <clears throat> going back to the like the early 1900s you know, dairy products was like in order to stave off hunger. Um, you know, families were overworked in factories. They were fucking working these incredibly physically demanding jobs. They had a lot less time to cook. Their bodies were ripping through calories just to just to be alive to mm-hmm. work their shift. Mm-hmm. And so, dairy was like the answer to all of this. Mm-hmm. It was the easier to find than bread. It was easier to find than eggs. Um, and cheese 
specifically uh, gave our bodies the extra calories that they needed, the calories, the protein, the fats to keep going. And it was cheaper. It was just overall just way cheaper to feed your family with fucking dairy products than milk or than bread and eggs and all that other bullshit. Yeah, it's it's cheap, <clears throat> calorically dense. It's more bang for your buck, basically. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Now, one of the biggest <clears throat> sort of mysteries or the answers to our cheese problem in America, um, the problem, uh, one of the reasons why American cheese became what it is today is because it was solving the problem of food spoilage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in the earliest 20th century of America, food spoilage was, or foodborne illnesses was a huge, huge problem. Um, <clears throat> there weren't any refrigerators back then. At least not in the very early 1900s. It wasn't until a little bit later that refrigeration, like especially with like the beer industry and all that stuff, really refrigeration became more and more common. Um, This was a big problem. So it all starts with a young entrepreneur named James L. Kraft. Oh my God. Okay. He was an employee of the Shefford Cheese Company and he was summoned... uh, he was summoned from his home in Buffalo to go to Chicago uh, in front of the, the board of directors. And at that point, he was actually let go from the Shefford Cheese Company. So they didn't pay for his way back home. So he was basically fucking stranded in, in Chicago. Those motherfuckers made a big mistake. He had $65 <laughs> to his name. Of course. Of course, right? That classic yeah. fucking trope of yeah <laughs> coming i feel like nothing. there's some propaganda here but you know whatever let's just yeah. continue <laughs> so at the time it within the cheese industry it was it was very it was very localized to your area um what would happen is the cheese would be produced in kind of a small factory and then they would take the cheese and ship it over to your local grocery stores or kind of a local farmstead where it would be sold now Cheese is usually shipped in kind of like a wheel or in some sort of block. And um, you would basically cut that off from the wheel or from the block, and that's how you would sell it. Now, the problem is once you once you cut into that wheel, um, because of like the exposure to oxygen and all that stuff, the, the outside part of that wheel would start to get really dried out and would start to crack. Mm-hmm. So... In order to <clears throat> serve the next customer, you'd have to trim off the hard parts of that cheese mm-hmm. in order to get to the, the softer bits in order to sell it. Sounds so like there's you, a lot of waste. Yes. There yeah. is a shit ton of waste. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it was like more, you were cutting off more than you were selling. Yeah. And so there was a lot of food waste and a lot of lost profits. And and at this point, because of that, the majority of the cheese that was um, the majority of the cheese that you were having just didn't get consumed because it was all being lopped off. Okay, so uh, James Kraft really kind of realized like this was a huge problem in the industry. So that being kind of like he did have a little bit of a background in cheese with the Shefford Cheese Company, so he's like, all right, well let's. I'm going to try to fucking solve this problem. Yeah. Okay. So his whole focus was to figure out how to minimize the amount of cheese that is lost to spoilage. So to start, Kraft would take these jars and he would kind of heat them up 
try to kill off any kind of bacteria, anything on them, basically just try to sanitize them. And he would cut a wheel, a wedge of cheese from the wheel. He would put it into the jar, seal it up, and then he would put a label on it. And so in 1905, James Kraft would sell jars of these cheese out of his apartment in Chicago, and it became the first prepackaged cheese in America. Okay. All right. Okay. So he was canning cheese. Yeah. No, not even canning. These were like glass jars. But it's like you're, they weren't selling cheese in a prepackaged way to direct to consumer. No, right? it was just from the wheel. You were, yeah, it was all coming from the wheel. <laughs> so he was taking slices out of the wheel, putting it in a jar, sealing it, preventing it from getting crispy on the edges. Yeah. And then selling it. Correct. And so that would probably longer. only, yeah, it probably wouldn't last that much longer, but it's still lasting. But it's preventing the crack, the dryness. Yes. Yeah. Okay. At least for a little bit anyways. Yeah. And I mean, he, the cool thing about this is, is like, <clears throat> people thought this dude was fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. Because you take a product that has been made, I mean, from what you were saying, yeah, 8,000 BCE, like as old as fucking before predated written history. Yeah. And he's just be like, yeah, I'm just going to make it better. Yeah. I'm just going to improve upon it. Yeah. You know, improve the process. Yeah. So it was a fucking nutty idea. Yeah. But he solved it, man. Mm-hmm. He did it. It's yeah. like if someone solved like, oh, I just opened this beer and preventing it from like getting spoiled after like 25 minutes. I'm just going to put it in a jar and resell it. <laughs> like this crazy motherfucker. Yeah. So <clears throat> here we are. The ni- Now we're in 1910. And this is where you're starting to see local products that are being replaced on the shelf from more by with more regional products. So Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. Nabisco Cracker Company, uh, Campbell's canned soups, they started to take over the shelves and they were sort of taking up more shelf space in the region of your area. Yeah. So <clears throat> in back in Chicago, James Craft is going door to door, fucking selling prepackaged cheese with a horse and buggy. Damn. And it was just fucking very, like there was no payoff. Oh was, yeah, he was he was losing a lot of product. He would pay a dollar fifty a day to rent the horse and the buggy, and um, you know he just he didn't have enough. He couldn't do it all on his own. Yeah, he needed to be bigger. He needed the power of scale, essentially, like all these other companies were doing, like yeah. the Campbell Soups and the whatnots. And and that was part of the problem is he was basically falling victim to his own demise that the other companies were because he was trying to sell this product but it was spoiling in the jars yeah yeah oh fuck. He, the jars would only last him maybe three days mm-hmm. you could get three days after you cut from the wheel put it into the jar seal it up you get three days of cheese in there wow after that it's fucking toast it's yeah. gone so he hires he goes to his brother norman Kraft, brings him on board hires him and so they start to work on all right, how do we fix this spoilage? How do we get more than three days out of these jars? Now, with James Kraft, one of his thoughts is like, okay, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to have to make my own type of cheese. Okay. He's going to fix this process. He has to do it by making his own type of cheese. So basically, he just kind of got to work by fucking getting the big kettles and... um. He started off, he added in this newest, newest, I say newest because at the time it was fucking unheard of, but he started to do uh, a process called pasteurization. 
Okay. Damn. Now Which we talked about before <clears throat> in history and beer episodes and Louis Pasteur. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the pasteurization. He started doing this with um, with uh, milk, and the brewing industry was doing this for fucking many years before that. Yeah. Like pasteurization in the brewing industry in America started in like the eighteen seventies. Yeah. Um, but uh, the French wine industry was like doing this for fucking a long, long time before that. So for any of you who didn't listen to the history beer episode, pasteurization is simple. It basically removes pathogenic microorganisms by heating the food to a certain temperature and holding it there for a certain amount of time. Okay. So he, with this thought in mind, Kraft basically just grabs his kettle, melts down all these different types of cheeses, heats them up, and then places them into heated jars. Now, here's another fucking roadblock in his problem. He didn't have control of his temperature, and he didn't understand the importance of controlling your temperature. Mm-hmm. So every time he heated up the cheese, the fucking fats would separate. Okay. Uh, and basically, in the jar, you would have this chunky layer on the bottom, and then you have a thick layer of oil on top. Mm-hmm. Almost like a salad dressing. You know? Or your peanut butter. Your peanut organic butter. peanut butter. Yes, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Perfect example. <clears throat> so after all this fucking time, um, it took him three years of melting cheese and fucking <laughs> around with this shit to finally get the right consistency of cheese, the right temperatures that don't cause any form of separation. And he used this key ingredient called um, emulsifying salt. And that mm-hmm. helps prevent that separation of the uh, – it keeps the, the the fats, the oils, from separating from the mix. Mm. And that creates this this really smooth product. Speaking so, of smooth. Yeah. Oh. I want to try this 10-year. I forgot. Going for 10-year. All right. Let's, Let's go this. for the 10-year. How smooth do you think this is going to be? Smooth as eggs? It's got to be smooth as eggs. <laughs> is it dancing around in your mouth right now fuck yeah it's dancing <laughs> oh man it's so sharp alright let me taste this it's giving me fucking goosebumps man definitely have crystals oh boy there I taste the crystals yeah I was crunching on them <laughs> that's fucking 10 years bro <laughs> that next one is one and a half times that shit it's 24 years that's yeah, it's good. a pretty pretty big jump on the next one. That was really good too. That was though, good man. though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got a crystal right right here. Mm. <laughs> God damn, that's creamy as shit. So far, that's my favorite. I'm gonna have another piece. Yeah. God damn, that's good. That was a good one. I got so much more cheese too. I know. We're gonna be backed up for days. <clears throat> damn, that's creamy. Speaking of creamy, all right. So, Kraft has this creamy, smooth product now, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, unsure if this is even shelf-stable, at the risk of his own fucking health and well-being, he keeps a jar out in the open, not in the open air, but like room temp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Waits 10 days, and he fucking digs into it. Yep. Damn, my mouth is watering right now. (laughs) So, he tries it. It's fine. He didn't die from it. Mm-hmm. He now has a product that he knows is at least stable, you know, up to 10 days or more. Okay. Okay. 
1914 rolls around. Kraft pours all of his resources in into the market to bring American cheese to the world. Now, off the top of your head, what do you think? You think it was an instant success? Think there was some weariness? What would you What would you think? I would say there's some weariness. Yeah, I, I say it's going to be one of these things where it starts off where it's like, oh, this is weird and new, and then something's going to happen, and it's going to be the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah, people fucking <laughs> were not about. They were like, "What the fuck kind of wizardry is this bullshit?" Yeah. Some fake ass bull, fake oh, yeah. ass bullshit. Cheese yeah. isn't supposed to last more than ten days. Exactly, this is gross. And the the thought of pasteurization freaked people out because mm-hmm. they didn't understand it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was before like pasteurized milk and everything. Yep. So that's crazy. The pasteurized cheese comes before pasteurized milk because yeah. that's what you think of pasteurization as milk. Yeah, at least I do. Yeah. So basically, homeboy was just fucking losing all kinds of money, mm-hmm. racking up debt, basically nearly bankrupt. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I want to deviate a little bit from this story, and I want to just want to introduce um, Paps Brewing Company. PBR. Yep. We've, PBR. We've, we're familiar with them. Again, history of beer. We didn't know how much. I didn't realize how much crossover there'd be between cheese and beer. Dude, cheese and beer, man. They're like brother and sister. Yeah, yeah. So, 100 miles away from Chicago, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you have one of the largest breweries in the beer in the in the country. Um, This was Kraft's biggest rival, eventually, but not right (laughs) now. Okay, but I want to set a little background. 1905. Okay. You have two brothers who are in control of Paps Brewing Company, Gustav and Fred Jr., and they take over the company from their dead father who founded the company. And in 1905, Fred was like, you know what? I'm fucking out of this shit. I don't want to do any of this. I want to go be a farmer. Mm -hmm. Their family had a plot of land. They had a nice farm. He ditches the company and goes becomes a farmer. So Gustav is like, all right, cool. I'm sucks for you to go, but- I have all this money. I'm going to invest in technology. I'm going to make us more an efficient process. And basically, he he invests the modern equivalent of $28 million into the brewery to fucking get it churning out product. All right. So we set the stage for them. Over the years, up until 1914, they're fucking, he's making in money. Things are going great. However, 1914... There's growing concerns, if you remember your history, there's growing concerns that um, with the big move towards prohibition, the board of directors are like, this is not going to be good. This is fucked. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But Gustav was arrogant. You know, he thought like, okay, beer's not going to be included in prohibition. Which it wasn't initially. Right. For, yes. <laughs> um, so if any of you haven't listened to our, we did a prohibition series uh, check out episode 50, side A and side B. Yep. Uh, part of our history of beer series. Yep. One of the best. So Gustav was like, all right, beer's not going to be part of the alcohol ban. It's fine. Um, but in order to protect his product, he basically launches this crazy campaign. He wrote this giant article in Cosmopolitan magazine, <laughs> which I didn't think it was that old, but apparently it fucking is. Oh, yeah. Cosmo. And- Yeah, he just basically tried to distance himself from beer. So, 
at this while all of this is happening, Fred Jr. is on his farm. Fucking, he got into the a little bit more into the dairy industry, and he starts digging his heels into cheese. Okay. Three years later, back in Chicago, James Kraft, they're fucking losing so much money. He's borderline crippled to the point of bankruptcy. And then April 6th, 1917, America enters World War One. Ah. Now, America is going to send four and a half million troops over to Europe during the course of the war. And logistically, the government has no fucking idea what the hell they're doing. They don't, they've never had to do this before. Oh, man. They're about they to ship rations, those bro. fucking soldiers so much cheese. They need some long-term storage <laughs> rations, bro. So you see where this is going. Yep. Yeah. So um, so logistically, the, the U.S. – I thought this was a fun fact. The U.S. actually consulted the Ringling Brothers Circus – on how to transport. How do you feed your freaks? Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. Yeah, yeah. So how to transport bulk, like bulk volume of things and stuff wow. and logistics. So <clears throat> now how do we feed all these soldiers? So Kraft is, Kraft cheese is lightweight. It's calorie dense. It's sh- It's stable enough to handle the shipping. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at this fucking really smart, Brilliant move by James Kraft. He calls the government. Hey, government. Is this the CIA? <laughs> I got some life-changing high-calorie food that'll last a million years. <laughs> oh, sure you do. <laughs> so not a different branch. He calls the U.S. Army. Yeah. Okay. Same speech, though. And basically, he secured a government contract for his bacteria-free processed cheese. And by the end of World War One. The government brought six million. He they bought six million pounds total of his processed cheese. Wow! So during got to get War, those government contracts yeah. during World War One, they bought six million pounds, pounds of craft cheese. How the fuck did he produce that much weight? Government contract. Yeah. So we just gave him money, like make a factory. Get this so, shit going. Yeah. You so get, at this you get point, that government cheddar. You're gonna fucking profits some, were going make some up. Cheddar. Yeah. He made his cheddar. By making cheddar, fake cheddar, <laughs> and he, he, made a, he built a whole new factory. Here's the thing. Veterans coming back home, they had this tasty fucking milky shelf-stable cheese, and they got a taste for it. Yep. Told so you, what they it's do, like crack. They came home, found it in stores, and that's fucking all they ever wanted. Wow. All right. By 1918, craft sales reach a modern equivalent of $119 million. And his product is the first cheese to be shipped coast to coast in the United States. And so in response to this, Kraft is smart. He was like, all right, I'm going to patent this product. I'm going to patent the process of mm-hmm. this product. Mm-hmm. Not the recipe, yeah. but the process of pasteurization yep. and everything like that and using the emulsifying salt. Whoa. So at this point, 1918, Kraft controls 40% of the cheese market in America. That's wild, dude. God damn. Smart. Yep. But it doesn't end there. <clears throat> no, because we still got the Paps. Right. The Paps brothers or whatever. 1919, 18th Amendment is passed and prohibition becomes a thing. Mm-hmm. Now, by this time, as we talked about in that episode before, Beer companies, in order to stay alive, they had to find an alternative. Yep. They had to figure out how to keep production going with different products in order to stay afloat. 
So um, basically, Gustav calls up his brother. He's like, hey, man, I can't do this anymore. I'm fucking out. So Paps gets Fred, Fred Paps, his brother, gets to problem solving. And by 1923, uh, Fred Jr., because the brewing industry, like you mentioned, James, have all this infrastructure in place, Fred Jr. basically starts producing their own processed cheese called Papset. 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 And it was in a can. And it was a it was a similar recipe. Mm-hmm. The only difference it was a similar orange color. It was velvety. It was smooth. And the only difference between that product and craft cheese mm-hmm. is that they used they aged their cheese a little bit longer, so it created a much more bolder, okay, sharper tang to it. Okay, okay. And so at that first year sales with Papset cheese. They made $22 million in profit. Whoa. By 1930, Papset sells 8 million pounds of cheese, basically taking, raising the company from the ashes and taking a chunk out of Kraft's cheese sales in the market. Paps is in violation of Kraft's patent. Because he is using the same process without probably paying money for it or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So you can't put a patent on a recipe. Because you can change a singular ingredient, and right then and there, it becomes your recipe. Yep. Okay. One cup of water, 1.1 cups of water. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing about recipes. It's like people always talk about the secret recipe of Coca-Cola or some shit like that. Right. A lot of that stuff, yeah, I mean, it matters, but it doesn't because, like you said, you change one thing. Process is so much more key. Yeah. Because you are, you can use the same exact ingredients, and if your process is a little bit off, it's going to taste way different. Exactly, yeah. So, <clears throat> because Kraft owns the process and not the recipe, they fight in court, okay? And after an eight-month legal battle, courts are in favor of Kraft. Obviously. They, ha- they have to. They have right? to. Yeah. So this is where this is the this is the brilliant turning point. Now Kraft, James Kraft had the opportunity. He could have fucking shut down Paps Brewery right then and there. He could have fucking <laughs> imagine that history. Oh right? yeah. Yeah. Where he just basically like, all right. A cheese company ruins a beer company. Yeah. Kraft Blue Ribbon. Oh shit. <laughs> but no. James Kraft saw this as an opportunity. He was a savvy businessman. So what he did was he was like, okay, keep making your Papset cheese. It's a hit. It's a hit in local Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. People like it. But we're going to allow you to use the pat- or use our process, but you have to put the craft name on the can, and you have to pay a licensing fee, which they agreed upon would be for every one, they would pay craft one-eighth cent for every pound of Papset cheese that is produced. All right, that seems pretty reasonable. Right? Yeah. So, more or less, basically eighth of a cent per pound. Per yeah. pound. Yeah. And they sold how much? 8 million pounds the first year? Yeah. So, so that, one, that that's not that much. That's pretty reasonable f- yeah. to, for it to be able to keep, you know, your company alive and a profit uh, turning. Yeah. So, needless to say, by 1933, we have the end of prohibition. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. 
And so Pabst was able to go back to brewing beer. Yeah. And so and essentially, Fred Jr. and Cheese was able to prevent and save Pabst beer from collapsing into nothing. And they were able to go back to making beer. And now they're fucking back as one of the dominating competitors. Did they continue to make the cheese for a little bit? Or did they just say, fuck it, we're doing beer. It's like way more profitable. I have no idea. I, I would have to imagine that they didn't eat do that the cheese for much longer or at all yeah because right. it's it's taking up space and all that shit like and especially if they have to pay like licensing fees and all that yeah my math might be wrong but 8 million pounds of cheese divided by times 1/8 uh is 260,000 cents divide that by 100 is only 2600 bucks yeah it's not much so you got twenty six hundred so, bucks so, out of okay. eight million dollars no, no, no. worth of sales. So let's Am back I fucking up. do my math wrong. No, no, no. <laughs> no, you're right. Your math is right. But the thing is, is that in the beginning, when they first released their product in the first year, they they sold eight million pounds. Yeah, but it became like a, huge a thing? Yeah. huger thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yay! Pabst Beer Brewing they can brew beer again. So the company saved. Nineteen thirty seven. Craft box macaroni and cheese, then at the time known as Craft Dinner, hits the market. Mm. Okay, be so huge. Yep. Nineteen forty nine, Craft individually wrapped singles hit the market. Nineteen forty nine, and those Craft, craft singles. Craft Nineteen forty nine, huh? I don't know what Craft Singles is. It's the, it's the individually wrapped slice of cheese. Oh, yeah. yeah. That Damn. goes into so, the larger package. So of cheese. he had like so when he was selling his cheese in the beginning, was it was it like, like cheese whiz. A, it was like cheese whiz, right? Yeah. It was like that fucking Taco Bell no, no, cheese. No, no, no. So in the okay, was it a brick? The, the very, very beginning, it was like a small wedge in a jar. Yes. Then he, with the emulsifying salt and everything, he yeah. makes like a cheese whiz. Like the sauce. And like you'd like the, dip exactly. it into shit and eat yeah. it? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And now he's like, fuck this. I'll make a brick and slice that. Yes. Bingo. Yep. And now Kraft Singles. Mm-hmm. 1946? 1949. 1949. Damn. 1952, Cheese Whiz hits the market. Yep. Damn. <laughs> Classic favorite of Seth's. Oh, God. Cheese Whiz. Dude, Goof Troop movie. That guy's like, Cheddar. And he like makes a volcano in <laughs> his mouth. Tower oh, of yeah. Cheese yeah, Polly yeah. Shore. Yeah, Polly Shore. Mm-hmm. Ah. <laughs> um, but basically, James Craft, up until 1956, till his death, he was fucking, he created Crushing. this legacy of fucking American cheese. And mm-hmm. this was the history of, pot, of processed cheese in America. Now, here's what I found out. Okay. Because I was like, this guy, so he dies in 1956. Who takes over? Oh, yeah. And I was like, no, it can't be Bob Kraft from the Patriots, who's now getting hand jobs in a Florida massage parlor, <laughs> right? So I did a little bit digging. Dude, they're fucking not even distantly related. Yeah. Oh, it's completely different. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I thought that shit was the same. I thought so too. So, I thought Bob Kraft like literally owns like every single fucking food company in the planet. So no. No. why is he a billionaire? No. Because he he owns this like section of like what's so the. Basically, the craft is like a conglomerate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They have their toes, not just in the food industry, but also sports industries and all these different things. 
Bob Kraft, yeah. that guy that we know, the Patriots owner. Nothing to do with Kraft Mac Nothing and cheese? to do with Kraft no. Mac and Cheese. Nothing no. to do with the Kraft family. He, I thought that when I, heard, when I first heard of him. And then I had to go down that rabbit hole and be like, okay, how, who is he then? Because it, it's crazy that you have this like super rich dude who's named Kraft. But then there's also this giant company. Yeah. You, there, you, you'd figure that there'd have to be some, some relation. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Zero. No Zero? No, yeah. not even distantly related. What yeah. the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> so what the fuck does Bob Kraft do? Robert Kraft. He owns, he owns like several sports companies, like teams. He owned, he's like head of like this like sport craft sports conglomerate or some shit like that. Damn. I thought he owned like a bunch of food. I thought like from Kraft Cheese, he then evolved dude, started absorbing other that's food what products. And then like he's like the dude that owns like every fucking food on the planet. Nope. That has like fucking corn syrup. So <laughs> <laughs> like, you know corn syrup? Yeah, I own corn syrup. <laughs> like, oh shit. Wow. That's a fun fact because I thought that mother, I thought you were literally like, you know Bob Kraft from the Patriots? That's his grandfather. Yeah, and that's like, what I thought, man. Yeah. Damn. All right. But should we finish this podcast out with the twenty-four month, twenty-four year cheese? I'm, I yeah, dude. I've been looking at I that mean, shit like it's a pile of crack yeah, cocaine. We gotta end it with a bang here, right? And there, there's gonna be some extra. So I think I'm gonna dip my twenty-four year <laughs> into the Taco Bell nacho cheese. <laughs> oh my God, after dude. I, I'm gonna try it single. Here we go. <laughs> Let's try it single. All right, we're going twenty-four. And I think baby. we'll have enough where we can probably dip it. Into oh, so, the Taco of, Bell nacho cheese, the most expensive cheese dipped in the most cheapest cheese is going to be delicious. Just wait. Oh my god! But fuck, man, this has a rich motherfucking taste. I can taste it. Like the age of this taste, like this motherfucker has been sitting in my basement. Damn, that's sharp. Dude, that is fucking blissful, man. It's delicious. It fucking just like, it literally just melted in my mouth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know when like expensive ass shit just melts in your mouth? Yep. You know? That shit like dissolves in my mouth. Damn. All right. That was good, man. That was so good. Mm Mm-hmm. It was a little funk at the end, though. Yeah, There's there was some little, funk. It does have that, yeah. That, that I had funk in the very beginning, and then it melted, and then it started, mm-hmm. turned into fucking... But, dude, like, it literally, like, is like a wave. Oh, yeah. It's like it's in my whole, head. It's like my head is like a wave of fucking highness, in a way. It's fucking 24 years of... Uh, it's like I, like I absorbed energy of 24 years real quick. <laughs> like, a little, like, if there was a soul... And you ate a little bit of the soul, yeah, yeah, and you yeah. got like a boost of energy. Oh, definitely! Like that was like a slice of soul, dude. I think I time traveled a little bit, like back to 1997. Like I got like a real quick buzz, and then it went away. Yeah, like, like my endorphins or something in my brain it gave me like a bunch of that shit. Yep. What is that shit called? When you get um like adrenaline in a way? Yeah. Like doing drugs? Yeah. I don't know. That's <laughs> like synapses were like firing. Yeah. <laughs> dopamine. dopamine dopamine i got a big dopamine yeah. rush right there okay I'm i gonna... could i could feel my 10 year old sweatpants on like just i'm <laughs> in the sweatpants i'm in my room i'm playing video games that's what it made me feel like was that gold, i feel, I feel a little high man 97 high gold it could have been, been i was fucking throwing remote mines in the caves dude oh, it was yeah. crazy 
damn, that is a dopamine rush. Yeah. I feel a little high from eating that. I know, dude, me too. <laughs> I got, I got, so when I ate that 10 year, I got goosebumps. Like yeah. my hair raised on my arms and I was yeah. like, oh, damn. When you guys were doing the podcast, I was taking little nibbles from the from all the crumbs from the I, 10. I saw that, yeah. I wasn't doing that with the two or the five or the seven. Yeah. The 10, I was eating those crumbs. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Mix that 24-year into that okay, Taco I'm Bell dip, cheese. I'm going to dip this 24-year into the Taco Bell nacho cheese. Dude, the, the curd nerds are like the yelling, curd nerds yelling right are now. are going to lose their goddamn minds. Oh, shit. It's breaking apart in there. I can't even get <laughs> it. Just slurp it down. Ooh. <laughs> Damn, it's got a little it's got a little heat like all jalapeno y. I didn't get the cheese sweats though today. Damn. It's like <laughs> Oh fuck. Man, that fucking cheddar is so damn sharp. Yeah. I'm getting look at I'm getting goosebumps right now from the sharpness. Dude, that's worth fifty dollars for I, a brick. I think so. Yeah. Look at do you see the hairs on my arms? They're they, standing they, up. You do dude. have some goosebumps. They're standing up, dude. Yeah. Kind of weird. So when you eat the 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 Velveeta Nacho Taco Bell cheese, yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. real light and smooth, a little mm -hmm. jalapeno. Yeah. Then it finishes off. It's strong as fuck because then the, <laughs> the, the that twenty four year rock hard cheddar yeah. hits your taste buds. That dopamine rush comes back. <laughs> your hair stand up. God damn, that's worth it. All right. That's worth fifty seven bucks. Definitely. Yeah. All your all you curd nerds out there, thanks for listening. Check out 24 Years from Wisconsin Cheese Mart. God damn. <laughs> is anyone else high as fuck on shit right now at 24 year at PCP and it's something I'm freaking out god damn my endorphins are off the charts <laughs> dude I think there's something in the bacteria over time in the cheese that just uh, kicks dude, it up to another level I have a buzz right now from that cheddar yeah and you haven't even drank five beers yet I have only had four beers I know <laughs> five is usually when you get your buzz god yeah. damn God that damn. was good, man. That was a fun episode. Yes. Dude, that was an awesome episode. Those cheddars are fucking sharp, and I don't know which one's my favorite. I know the 24 is off the chain, mm -hmm. but pff, I don't know, man. Delicious episode. It was. It <clears throat> was a delicious episode. So I've only got one piece of QC, so I'll knock it out real quick. And that was one of the makers of cheese that we ate on this podcast was Tillamook. Tillamook, yeah. And I've heard of the name. I swear to God, they've been advertising on like podcasts or some shit because I've heard like, I don't know where else I would hear it because I'm not watching commercial TV or whatever. But Tillamook is a dairy cooperative headquartered in Tillamook County, Oregon in ah. the United States of America. And... Really, that's that's all I wanted to know is where I, they're from. I randomly saw them at the grocery store about a year ago, and I was like, I'll just grab it. I need cheese. I'm not really responsible for buying cheese in this family. So I just bought it. Gina loved it, and we've been buying Tillamook brand since. It is the 48th largest dairy processor in North America, and they do sell uh, dairy products in all 50 states. 
Yeah, it's really good. It's fucking smooth as eggs and it's sharp as blades. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if that makes sense. Well, I'll, that's all I got for QC, Ham. All right, so uh, I did want to, uh, to mention that a great deal of my source material for the history of processed cheese came from a documentary series on uh, the History Channel called The Food That Built America. Mm. And Shit. my info was specifically from season two, episode four. Um, <clears throat> if you haven't seen the show, it's actually really, really cool to see a lot of our common, uh, a lot of the biggest food companies and chains and empires that are in America and get a, get a hint of their like of their origin story. Um, so check it out if you haven't. It's good stuff. Um, <clears throat> next thing I wanted to bring up. So we just ate a 24 year age cheddar. Now I haven't, I cannot recall eating, eating or drinking anything older than 24 years of my life. Okay. So I'm 34 years old. That means that this cheddar was, I was 10 years of age when this cheddar was created and, and put into a cellar to be aged. Now that cow was probably dead who made that. Oh yeah. totally. (laughs) Oh yeah. Long gone, dude. Now I did want to bring up just a couple of, um, Maybe some of the top grossing movies that were of 1997 when this cheese was made. So, <laughs> okay. 1997, that was probably a good year. We got Men in Black. Boom. We've got Lost World Jurassic Park. Damn. Titanic. Uh, Face Off, Batman and Robin, Con Air, uh, Flubber. Flubber was 97. Jerry Maguire, Anaconda, Scream. Man, a lot of good stuff. I saw Damn. all those movies except for Titanic. Starship Troopers, Austin Powers. Damn. All right. 97 was a good year for movies. Yeah, that's a lot of my childhood right there. 90s was a good year. Here we go. Uh, Video games of 1997, because that's also important. Number one, GoldenEye 007, released August 25th, 1997 on the Nintendo 64. Nice. Castlevania, Symphony of the Night, Final Fantasy VII. Yep, I I knew that one. From PlayStation, Parappa the Rappa. (laughs) Oh man, a lot of good stuff. We just ate something. We put it in our mouths when it came when fucking Golden Eye came out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. When yeah. Golden Eye came out, they fucking put milk on something and then we're like, you know, let's eat it now. <laughs> and it's delicious. Yep. Delicious. God damn. And that's all I got. Damn, that's all you got? Well, guess what? All you curd nerds out there, thanks for listening to this motherfucking podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us. Check us out on Facebook and on Instagram. Boom. See you later. Hope you enjoyed this motherfucking episode. Sausage candles.